You're listening to The Guest List, a music industry podcast brought to you by Skiddle. Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of The Guest List from Skiddle. I'm David Blake, Skiddle's head of content, and today we're talking music venues and the coronavirus outbreak. According to the Music Venue Trust, over 550 grassroots venues in the UK face a very real threat of permanent closure in the wake of the pandemic. The knock-on effects culturally are hard to imagine. So how are venues up and down the country coping and responding to the situation? How bad is it? What can we do? And how might the loss of grassroots music venues affect the wider industry and the very fabric of our culture? I'm pleased to say joining us today today are Mark David, CEO of the Music Venue Trust, Nathan Clark, owner of the famous Brunel Social Club in Leeds, and Tony Cobrooker, Production and Programming Manager at the Green Door Store in Brighton. Hello, everyone. So, Mark, um, if we can come to you first, let's, let's be frank. How bad is the situation for venues right now? Um, well, it's pretty serious in this particular period of time. Essentially, what happened is, obviously, as everybody knows, the venues were told to close down officially on the 20th of March, but in fact, had pretty much been emptied by government advice before that. The government brought forward a series of packages of, that were really not specifically designed for the sector. They were designed for business in general. Those packages, all the financial support together, everything they'd done effectively ran out of financial support on the 27th of April. And from that point until they announced some new government support or some new measures or give us some idea of when we might be able to open, effectively the music venues are on their own. Um, to give people the idea of the scale of that problem, roughly speaking, this, ven- this sector of venues, around about 700 venues in the country being closed every day, is causing about £500,000 in liabilities to accrue every day. Wow. So about £3.5 million a week in liabilities, made up of rent, um, rent um, rates, you know, all kinds of things like insurance that have got to be paid, buildings have got to be maintained. So, yeah, it's very, very serious at the moment. It's not, it's not, you know, unstoppable. There's things that can be done, um, but I would say we're in a real crisis period at the moment, right the way until the government announces the next things they're going to do. Right. Okay. And uh, Nathan, can you tell us what the situation is with your venue in Leeds? Um, we are possibly a little bit different in that we own the freehold land and building, so uh, we don't have any rent or or other aspects to consider. However, um, across the kind of nature of it, I can see our standing charges and a lot of other aspects are significant each week, uh, and also the other aspects of staff that we have to maintain to keep relevant and uh, administration of the still operational um, and so looking at it with a with a strategic view what can we do to get ready for for what may be in the future we have to have a level of investment ready and reserve to consider so as a current situation we certainly recognize that it's it's in the long term a significant threat to all venues across the board. Okay, and Tony, I see from Green Door Store's Facebook page that you've you've set up a crowdfunder. How is that going? It's going really well. Yeah, we've had, we've been pretty overwhelmed by the support we've had. Um, in saying that, it's still a pretty bleak situation at the moment. We lost six months worth of shows. We were doing ten shows a week, seven gigs, and three club nights. And I've lost everything for this year and shows are only being rescheduled from March next year. In saying that, I'm still hopeful that we'll be able to open this year. Well, that was the next question, actually, is um, how confident are we that 
that gigs will return this year. I mean, there's conflicting reports. I've read things in the enemy and the BBC saying not until next year. And there are other signs that um, might possibly be shows on later this year. So, Mark, how confident are you that gigs will return this year? Depends, rather depends what you mean by gigs, really. I mean, the, the, it's a bit of an open-ended question. I read a great thing this morning where somebody said that each of these venues has its own unique f- fingerprint. Mm. Um, and, and trying to guess what that collective fingerprint looks like is actually pretty difficult. Will there be live music performed in, in a pub or a bar or a live music venue this year? Do you know what? I'm going to tell you that I suspect that live music will be formed pretty soon, actually but maybe not in the way that we would like it to be performed and maybe not in the, in the circumstances that would be ideal and certainly not in the way that we're used to. Um, if pubs and bars are given the green light to open relatively soon, you are not very far behind before somebody plays the acoustic guitar in a bar. And at that point, by the broadest definition, a gig has happened. Yeah. You know, will we be seeing touring bands? That seems to me to be an, an entirely different set of things but i think these these two venues you got here are, are perfect examples you know there's a huge local scene around the Brudenall social club there's a massive local scene in brighton there's dozens of venues you know and are brighton bands going to find a way to play in brighton venues as soon as pubs and bars are open yeah they're probably going to do that will we be allowed audiences will it only be a virtual gig you know it will happen at the venue but only be virtual the, the simple answer is, is that this is one of the most in, 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 innovative, and that's a good word, innovative and, and inventive. That's a much easier word to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, sectors that I know, you know, if it wasn't like that, frankly, they'd already be closed. It's not like they're all making fortunes of money out of putting on live music. They're doing yeah. it for a whole bunch of different drivers and reasons. If, you, if the government is clear about what needs to be done to protect the public, then these venues will find a way to put some element of live music on either in their own venue or in a park or somewhere other other place, because that's what we always do. We try and make live music happen. Is it going to be like people want it to be? I suspect that's the answer. Can I just pick up on one specific thing you said though? Cause it's, it's something I'm desperately trying to use every, every podcast and everything, every interview we do just to really hammer home please stop reading articles by one, one talking head that are being written in, in the NME or the BBC or on yeah. every 24 hour news channel. And please just, just everybody should just calm down a bit and wait until we have better government advice. And then we'll be able to tell you what's going to happen. I read one this morning, which when I looked at it, the guy, the guy who's, who's the principal thing the whole article is built around does a, does a podcast called the naked scientist and has never really been in the music venue in his life. How yeah, does he yeah. know what we're going to need to do in it in order for a music venue to be open? What I, we need is, Public health advice, then we'll build you what can be done in response to it. Yeah, I think I read the same article, actually. And I agree with you that he probably hasn't been to that many gigs because I think he called um, Ed Sheeran rock and roll. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> that, you know, no slight to Ed Sheeran. But th- th- you have described there though, the, the difference between those two things, right? I mean, can, could Ed Sheeran go and perform in, in the green note next week if they announce that, that pubs and bars can sell alcohol? I can't, I mean, there's nothing dangerous about hearing Ed Sheeran play the guitar and sing, sing through his mouth. I mean, so, and he would be able to stand in the corner and do that. Somewhere between that and Sun O being allowed to turn all their amps up to 15 and deafen people, you know, 300 people in a room is the scope of what gigs might be available. 
trying to prescribe that gigs won't happen till this day is fundamentally stupid. The government don't know how to run a music venue. Everybody in this conversation knows how to do that. They should tell us what they, we need to do and we'll tell them how far we can get. The only thing that needs to happen at that point is that we need the financial support to make some of those shows happen if they think it's important they should be entertainment. And we need the financial support if we're not able to open. That's it. In, in that case, do you think it might be a, a, a knock-on effect that you'll see much larger artists play much smaller venues? Maybe. You know, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, I think the first thing you'll see is, I, I know Tony and... Tony and Nathan can tell you about, I think you're going to see local scenes spark back into action relatively quickly, frankly. You know, we've, we've got people, and the, the one I'm involved in, Tunbridge Wells, we've got a list of local artists begging to be on the first night that we're open. They don't care if anybody's there. They just want to go out and play. Yeah. Okay. So I think that'll be, that'll be the first thing you see. I mean, Tony, Nathan. Um, well, yeah, same question. You know, are, are, are you, Nathan and, and Tony, are you confident that you'll see gigs in your venues later this year? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we'll be able to deliver uh, live performances to a, a reduced capacity. That's what I think uh, will happen. I think we'll be we'll be delivering shows to maybe 50 people rather than 200. I I feel that um, there are there are different aspects coming to, and it won't be just live gigs. It'll be different events and how creative as a venue we can be to survive. Um, and I think that that is where part of the, the 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 direction that Mark is aiming in is that when places will be allowed to open and when the costs associated with such are such to an extent that we are forced to. I think the other aspect that needs to be considered is that in potentially a new new world of, of live music and events, our are our spaces actually suitable for such and designed to live in and breathe in those spaces. So we may have to consider what what other aspects come into it and what new spaces or what other spaces come into that, which is a completely different tangent on what it is. And, and that's where personally I've been looking at a venue to try and anticipate some level of change that we may have to do to even put on cinema, art, events, exhibitions and live music. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's an interesting point is, is how different might the live music um, experience be? There's talk of um, kind of social distancing gigs where you might be able to get a quarter of your capacity, but economically speaking, taking into account bar takes and things like that, will it be possible to put on gigs with a quarter of capacity? How different do you think? How, what do you expect the live music experience to look like? On the other side of this really unpredictable i genuinely mean that i mean the, the 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 answer is that nathan's absolutely right there is an intrinsic link between what we'll be able to do and the financial viability of it and that's a problem for communities you know cities towns government you know if if people aren't going to want to emerge from from this to find out they still can't actually do anything at all. And it's exactly the same as being in the house. So we're going to see people attempting to do things. There's sitting at the core of this is the idea that you've got a licensed premises and a licensed premises is a safe space to do that in. So I think, again, you know, to pick up on Nathan's point, we may see that some venues don't have enough ventilation and, and therefore the, the ventilation is an issue. We may see that the serving techniques in some venues 
can't be done. Access and uh, access and de departure points from some some venues means it won't work. Those ones will have to remain closed, and they'll need financial support to remain closed. Other ones may be able to do stuff where you've got two acoustic artists playing a folk show, everybody's seated. You know, there's lots and lots of different versions. What worries me is is government making statements like, "Well, arts and culture will be the last sector to open." Why? Because it's intrinsically dangerous to look at a painting. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Describe what the, what the public health issues are and what the contained measurements are. And then we, you know, as, as again, Nathan said, we'll put on some art. We'll put on a, a put on exhibition of all the tour posters so that everybody can come down and look at that, have a pint of lager, walk around. We're going to find ways to do things because that's what we're you're, about. You're, you're very right in that, Mark, and supporting them. One of the arguments that I've tried to do against some of that and the culture where they're pointing at a cultural sector in specifically is going you know the moment that mcdonald's is allowed to open is a moment that that a pub or a licensed premises should be because the same actual things between sitting and getting served and eating inside a restaurant a bar or any other place is the same as what happens in a live event and you know the moment you talk about um, the containment and passing rates in the London Underground when someone holds on a rail every five to seven minutes and sits on a chair and is in a contained environment. The moment you start to put measures into place in transport and other aspects, we have to put the, the, the same levels of consideration into all aspects of society. And I, and I feel that culture and and, and licensed premises has been specifically picked out because what happens in those places is social interaction. And that's the primary resource of hospitality, music events, gigs, and other things like that. And that's what's picked up on is social interaction. But social interaction and passing happens in all the other places where you've likened it to a supermarket that we can replicate the measures that go into that. We can replicate the measures that would go into transport, like you said, passing through in a certain direction and looking at certain pieces of art. We can do that when we are creative in our venues. That does not mean that it's economically viable to keep the venue alive, safe, well, and in, and in a position that we all want to be in this this, this environment anymore because that isn't what we first got into it and fell in love with putting on events for and I think that's the difference is that if we consider that that actually things are going to drastically change do we still want to do it in this way do we still want our spaces to exist in in a sterile environment that actually doesn't encourage social interaction mm. safely and meeting all the measures and if those aren't considered then we can't go into that uh environment knowing what the outcome will be so that th there is no right answer as mark put at first we're completely unknown i wonder um i wonder how the artists and and bands musicians djs that you're you're all talking to how are they coping and responding to the situation i mean i assume some some will just have to sadly give up but tony maybe if you can you can tell us how um what your experience has been of, of the bands and the artists that you're talking to and and how they're managing well i i'm not really had any experience of bands or musicians struggling um i think that that um 
there's a lot of funding out there for musicians. There's about 14.5 million funding out there, um, but there isn't any for music venues. And I think it's it's music venues offer a lot more than just a gig space. You know, it's it meets lots of social objectives as well. So I think they're missing the interaction more than they're missing actually playing live. Um, and I think from my, the, the musicians that I work with mostly, a lot of them have been very innovative, I use that word again, um, and have been able to set up live streams and they've all been really, really supportive of this of the campaign. Um, so yeah, I can't really say from my end of the industry that I've noticed that musicians are really struggling Okay. Potentially more for um, session musicians or tribute bands that maybe rely a bit more on the income. Um, just because you mentioned the campaign, Mark, we'll talk about um, the, the crisis fund that I think has just recently surpassed one million. Um, so the Music Venue Trust is aiming to raise, I think, one and a half. Um, so if you can just tell us a bit about the Save Our Venues campaign. Well, it's kind of in two bits, really. We've got the Central National Fund, which is where we're making sure that every venue has access to, first of all, advice, guidance, legal professional help, everything they need in order to manage any debts they've got, any liabilities they've got, any situations they find themselves in. So that's the first thing that happens in that process. What we've also asked in this particular round, we, we've always we've done that for the last three years, and it's we used to call it emergency response, and it's now called crisis response. Um, last year we helped ninety six venues that were faced with a threat of closure. So all we've done is really upscale that. We now have five hundred and fifty six that we think might need to go through that process in the next three months. So we have an army of of people helping venues in that way. There's, there's what we realised in this is because it's mainly all financial. A lot of the other stuff we've done is around planning. Or, or you know licensing problems or noise or whatever else there would need to be a point in that where we'd need to help them with financial support so the first thing we did was to try and get a fund that we can centrally administer to do that we put them through that process when they get to the point where there's no other solution we can step in with an appropriate financial response where there's no other thing that can be done but we also realized that actually the amount of money that we'd need to do that would, would honestly would come to to millions i mean we estimate that these venues are losing about 13 million between net between the 27th of april and the 31st of may so launching a national campaign saying well they're going to lose 13 million quid would you like to hand it over i don't think we'd get very far with that which sparked the second part of the campaign which is each of these venues is being encouraged to set up a crowdfunder that where the money goes directly to that venue and what we're doing on that is working um Tony's actually heading this up for us. She's working with artists um, and we're working directly with venues and we're trying to get artists to match to a venue, work on, put on a virtual event or maybe do some merch or whatever else it is they want to do. And the money on that crowdfunding campaign goes directly to the venue and can help them with their immediate costs, especially when it comes to staffing. You know, there's, there's some support out there from government for PAYE employees. There's not very much for self-employed. Uh, there's certainly not very much for freelance workers that do like your part-time work on the sound desk or the, or the lights or anything else like that. And, and these venues feel very responsible to those people. So it, it's one national campaign, all called Save Our Venues, and it's at saveourvenues.co.uk. But on there, anybody who's listening to this can basically, there's a map, you can pick your own local venue. And you can go to that venue's web, website, um, crowdfunding page, and you can you can find out what help they need and what they've got on, what they're offering in terms of virtual gigs that you can attend, that sort of thing. So it's a big, big campaign. So, so it's 
it's interesting one. So artists who might have an emotional attachment to a venue, say they, they played the first gig there or they're directly raising money for those venues through online street, online gigs. So it's kind of harnessing the power of this virtual online uh, live entertainment um, scene that's just sprung up and gone mad. I'm just wondering what kind of artists have you had getting involved for which venues? Uh, well, last night, Ed Harcourt played for the Lexington in London. Uh, Frank Turner's done about seven of these uh, from the parish in Huddersfield uh, down to the, uh, where is it? I mean, well, I forget, Southampton Joiners, he did one for. Um, we've got uh, Fran Healy from Travis is coming up to do one. Katie Tunstall's doing one. Um, Tony's got a bunch of names, can probably throw stuff in. Wolf <laughs> one as well. Wolf Alice. All right, okay. Um, but I'm also... Names. Yeah, yeah, they are big names, but I think it's important not to just put the emphasis on the, the names that everyone recognises, but also on the DIY bands, because, you know, it's all about the community around each venue. So there's a lot of smaller bands that work with these venues, work on the, you know, the smaller than 300 cap sort of venues, and they're, they're setting up tours as well. So we've got hundreds of smaller bands that are getting involved. And how much kind of on average is, is what's an average figure for a, a venue, the, the amount that they're looking to raise? Are we talking kind of like five grand? Are we talking 50 grand or is it just anywhere in between? Everywhere between those. I mean, I would tell you that um, as you go slightly more rural or you get into the towns, the amount of money that the venue generally needs is, is much lower. We have a very specific, slightly technical problem with a lot of the London, Liverpool, Manchester Glasgow Cardiff venues which is they didn't actually receive any short-term support at all so a lot of the venues received a short-term grant from the government when they closed them down but if your rateable value was over £51,000 which for 60% of the venues in London it was you didn't receive anything at all so basically places like the Lexington have not actually received anything at all in the short term the only thing they've really received is they're not having to pay their business rates over the next 10 months well, that kind of leads beautifully into the next question, which is what are venues seeing in terms of help from the government or, say, um, other bodies, the Arts Council, um, for example? What has the support been financially and what should they have done and what could they still do to, to help venues out during, during the crisis? Cancel the rents. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd expand on that greatly with lots of other things they could do, but the number one thing that government needs to do is they need to remove the issues between landlords and tenants. 93% of all the venues, Nathan's a really good example. I mean, Nathan and me are actually not great examples of this because I own our venue, Tommy Jones Forum, and Nathan effectively owns theirs. But we are in the 7% category. 93% of them are tenants. I'm actually uh, probably a good example of that because um, we're a tenant of um, Network Rail. So the money from our rent means nothing to Network Rail. Yeah. And, and, and can I bring in another factor that I, I was speaking to someone else on in that, that, that we alluded to earlier, that, it, that, that spaces may also not be suitable. And if the support does not come, then, then leases that were signed prior to this and the extensive amount of those leases that, that, that venues and organisations are bound to are then held in a, in a, in a, it's not just the rent period, it's the post rent period when we come back to activation. And if those leases are held at such a point and the amount of the rent is significant than what we can come back to, 
with new measures, then the lease process and that whole thing with the company on hospitality industry as a sector needs to be looked at because the leases may be unsuitable and unsound for viability of a sector in future. And I think that's the next stage beyond getting the rent break for this period. And the same with Mark's campaign. It's like that campaign takes in the initial period and saves that period. But, but the longer this goes on, the longer someone like us with overheads that do own it and that don't have the sufficient income and still have standing charges, but no government support, then fall into that category. So the longer it goes on, the longer the, the problem grows and, the, and, the, and the, the greater the problem of losing the fabric of live music and culture in the UK grows as a whole. And I think that's an important factor to come into it is that the next step is the leases that, that a lot of these organizations and venues are bound to. Okay. Um, I mean, when this is all over, uh, I mean, there's going to be, everyone's talking about this kind of this bounce and this huge thirst for live music and, and events. Everybody will be wanting to go out. Um, no idea how that'll look, but how does, how does the industry, react to that how can it best react to that to make the most of this probably sudden burst of of people wanting to go out and go to gigs and is there going to be a problem in terms of or is there already a problem in terms of rescheduling is everyone trying to reschedule for the same time which i've heard quite a few times is becoming a real problem so how does the industry react i, I mean i from our point of view i'd say well let's let's hope that happens personally i'm going for a pie at the brudenal social club <laughs> uh, and then and i'm going to nip down to the green door store and and joining with one of the latest nights I can find <laughs> but before I do that I mean I, I'd say yeah there's I, I don't know what the experience for Tony and Nathan is but we are hearing massive scheduling problems with all the tours that were planned for this year basically bunching into a new period and the tours that were supposed to be in that period trying to get in there as well and I don't think that's unique to the grassroots music sector circuit I, we're hearing the same thing at arena level frankly you know, the arena shows that were supposed to take place at Wembley Stadium this year are now competing with the ones that were supposed to take place next year at Wembley Stadium and the fact that football is supposed to be there. And, and I think that also from that, the scheduling is knocking on to uh, uh, artists' records that were already slated to release in certain periods are now knocking on to, to next periods and they're thinking about their relevance during the time and, you know, music that was written in certain periods that were relevant is now pushing further on the boundaries. So the live sector that was sometimes thought of as, uh, as, as a secondary aspect of the recorded sector, that, that people released the record and then they went and played live, actually now it's flipping on its reserves because they, they, they are starting to think about the release in, in relation to when they can go out and tour because they realise that a large proportion of their income as an artist comes from the live not from the recorded side and that's another aspect of where i feel the the weight of what we do as as live music is suddenly becoming apparent and may not be recognized but the impact upon the recorded sector and other aspects is seriously there coming to the end now this is a big question but i feel like this is the time to ask it. Um, 
how important are live music venues to the the cultural fabric of the nation <laughs> i thought you said you wanted to end soon <laughs> <laughs> well, this is penultimate question okay uh, i i don't think you it would be possible to exaggerate the the fundamental importance you can look at this from any angle that you want to look at the the music industry in the uk as a global entity it outperforms like you wouldn't believe 5.2 billion pound in economic activity last year where did all the key artists come from? They all came out of grassroots music venues. You're Ed Sheeran, Adele, Coldplay, all of your biggest artists. I mean, I've, I've lost money putting all those on. So I, I know exactly where they came from. And I think everybody else in the conversation has probably done that as well. You know, we're, we're they're the fundamental research and development arm of, of the entire UK music industry. They're, they're where our festival headliners come from. They're where our IP comes from. They're everything about that. But the, um, I don't, that's an argument we often have to make, but I don't actually, that's not the one that really appeals to me. The one that really appeals to me and the one that I really want to talk about, especially in view of the Save Our Venues campaign, is the position they occupy in their communities. These are the absolute linchpin of what a, what a community looks like. They're, they're, they're not just the home of, of musicians that are going to go on and headline Glastonbury. They're the home of musicians who are probably only ever going to play one gig, you know, and that's, that gig's going to mean a huge amount to them for the rest of their lives. Sure. They're the place where, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll let everybody else talk, but I'm gonna, I'll leave you with my particular one. About seven years ago, it was the 20th anniversary of my venue, and I was stood at the bar. It was three o'clock in the morning. Everybody had had as much to drink as they possibly could. And a, a fairly young guy came up to me and sort of tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around and he said, oh, I just want to say thank you. Like that. And I said, oh, you know, it's been a great evening, typical drunken Mark David performance. And he just kept looking at me and I said, oh, you know, all the venue this and the venue that. And he just kept on looking at me. And then I just went silent and he said, no, no, I, I just wanted to thank you because without you, I wouldn't be alive. My parents met here 18 years ago <laughs> and I was born about a year later. <laughs> and if they wow. hadn't have had somewhere to meet, then thing. So my argument for keeping grassroots music venues going is survival of the species. <laughs> I mean, can anyone can anyone follow that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why did you let him go first? <laughs> what 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 also is important there that Mark really alluded to wasn't just the formation of relationships and and people and cultural things, but it gives all the aspects he talked of about people's confidence building and people's personality and 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 the the nation's ability to interact and build and form relationships not only individually with others but as a as a culture and and the way that music venues and music and how the influence of each other's music has on each other not only on music but on fashion on an art and on every other aspect that comes into commercial organizations and if fashion didn't have you know even looking at modern musicians such as Billie Eilish and her and her, and her appearance that has come from some factors of grunge and which came from live music venues in small places and that is now saleable and and commercial in certain aspects the fallback that comes back to the small seeds that we plant as music ve uh, venues 
blossom to, to, to the roots that go out much wider to affect all other industries. And I think that's an important thing. We are an in, independent small cog in a much bigger machine and take that out and that machine does not function as effectively as it would do or gives it the colours and the life and the feeling that, that a picture, the picture becomes monochrome and homogeneous and we are, we provide that initial seed that makes that blossom. Does that make sense? Well done. Very important yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, not a beautifully put answer. Yeah. Um, so, okay, last, last question. So we're, we're out of isolation and you can watch one artist or band uh, in one place. Who is it and where is it? Tony, we'll start with you. Oh my God. Well, I don't know when the shows will be yet. Um, but I would recommend going and watching. Uh, one of my favorite bands is Full of Hell and you need to go and watch them in a small venue. Your venue? Has to be a, well, you can see them in my venue, but you have to go and watch them in a small venue. I quite like to go and see those Youngblood gigs. I was going to go to all five nights at Youngblood. <laughs> but maybe Youngblood at the Brudenall Social Club with a pie. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, well, he's a, he's, a, he's a Donny lad, isn't he? So he's not that far away. He is. He's, he's a Yorkshire, Yorkshire kid, yes. Uh, uh, I, I'd say I'm going I'm to be, be kind of uh, cheeky here and greedy, and I'm going to put somebody like uh, Low on the same stage collaborating with John Dwyer from the OCs and somebody like Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai that Mark's going to really appreciate alongside alongside something like Youngblood, where they all do some kind of music that, that is inspirational and works together. I think that that might be actually something that's really uh, creative. Well, you've, uh, you've put together a whole festival there, but I like the sound of it. Okay, right. So thanks to our guests. Um, we hope to everyone that was listening, that was informative, insightful. And if none of those things, it just passed a bit of time while you all washed up. Uh, we will be back, so keep your chins up, stay safe, we will dance again, and, and goodbye, thank you. You're listening to The Guest List, a music industry podcast brought to you by Skiddle.